0: I'm Captain Hoff, CEO of Founderspace, the leading global startup accelerator. I'm also author of the award-winning books, Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Horses. Big companies are really entirely structured around making revenue off their current models. So whatever their model is, uh, they have figured that out and they have become big companies precisely because they are very good at that. They are experts at that. In that time that they're sitting on top of, you know, a money-making machine. It's very hard to look at this money-making machine and say, well, this won't be around forever. So we're going to have to totally change everything we do. I mean, honestly, most uh, companies don't want to face that in the first place, and in the second place, they don't—they aren't sure what to do, and they're usually the last ones to see how big the change is because they are partially stuck in denial mode. They are used to being king of the hill. They don't expect to be, you know, dethroned anytime soon. So um, it's very hard for the executives on top of those machines to actually uh, look forward to the day when when what they're doing right now doesn't work at all. But for an entrepreneur coming into the space, they've got nothing to lose. Like literally, they, you know, if they can cannibalize that business, they will. The people who who are making all the money, the last thing they want is to cannibalize their own business. It just goes against everything that they've been trained to do. They've been trained to maximize their process. They have become big by making it so efficient. And the last thing they want to do is introduce something else that is going to Maybe be cheaper. Maybe you know, uh, be totally uh, change the whole system so that they're no longer the dominant force, or might not be. However, for a startup, this is exactly what they want to do, and they don't care if this is a multi-billion-dollar business and and the big fish are taking taking it all. They don't care if they only get a small slice at the beginning, you know, a million dollars, a hundred million dollars of this big business. They will lower the price, undercut the price, do anything they can to disrupt it because everything they do uh, at the end of the day will come back to them. And we know whenever you're pioneering a new platform, a new way of doing business, if you become the dominant market force all of a sudden everybody else becomes irrelevant. Then you can raise prices. And also technology makes things so much more efficient that you can undercut existing players simply by using technology to deliver goods and services at a lower cost, to deliver them more efficiently, and most importantly, to add more features than they could offer. When you are looking out at the future, as an executive at a big company, you have to be prepared to totally cannibalize and disrupt your business. Like you cannot worry about killing off your business. You cannot worry literally about killing the goose that laid the golden egg. So because what you have to figure, you have to have the right mindset. So you have to understand that this goose that is laying these golden eggs, if you don't kill it and cook it and eat it, Somebody else will, <laughs> like somebody else is gonna do it. So it, that goose is days are numbered, right? It is, it's gonna be served up on somebody's plate. It might as well be your plate. So the problem is that a lot of the people in your organization, uh, they might not have this mindset, even if perhaps you do in the organization or as a consultant to it, you have this. They often don't. So one way to do it is what IBM did. So IBM, has transformed itself a number of times. They were a big mainframe company, you know, and then the PCs started to come out and most of the mainframe companies like Digital Equipment Corp and all these other ones, they no longer exist because they didn't make that transition. But IBM literally set up a separate group, gave them complete autonomy, gave them the ability to just go after the PC market, you know, and compete with their main business. And what they saw was that their main business was, you know, dying, but, at least, but their PC business was growing like crazy. So you almost um, have to take a fresh talent or talent that is in your company that is really untapped, put them into this new organization, but you cannot put it under the existing one because the existing one is going to be focused on what they do best. That is what they do. They they have they they know how to make money that way. And you have to have this other one literally compete with them as a startup. That 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 solution does work. Uh, the example of Sony is also important. Like Sony uh, ended up uh, you know launching digital cameras even though Kodak had patents and other people had patents, Polaroid uh, ahead of them, and actually taking their market. You know starting the whole trend. Now Sony isn't a startup but they could do this because they weren't cannibalizing their business. They weren't one of the big camera makers. So they they had, again, they had nothing to lose, right? By doing this. And they were really good at making gadgets. They had been doing that. You know, they had made the Walkman and all these things. And that was, that was their business electronics. So for them, it was a natural thing to do for these other camera companies and film companies. It was really not natural at all. I work with hundreds of startups every year, all over the world. And, you know, I coach them, I mentor them, I invest in them, I want them to succeed. And I have observed what the really good startups do uh, that and that the other ones don't. And this is true also for large corporations. It's actually the same thing. So I work, you know, I work with some of these big companies, and I won't name them. But one of the biggest mistakes that, uh, that entrepreneurs make and also big companies make, they both make the same mistake they start with the idea. They start saying, "Let's for a big company, a big corporation, and I'm sure you know ones who have done this, they say, let's have a contest. Let's have all our employees submit their best ideas. And then we will have our managers pick the very best ones and we will fund those as our innovation projects. With startups, they kind of obsess startup founders over the idea. What's the perfect idea? What's the perfect idea? Well, these methods are flawed. Because whatever idea you have in your head is literally just an idea in your head. It doesn't matter until you take that idea out of your head and put it into the real world and start to see if it works. If you become too focused on the idea, what it does is it ends up locking you in. Now, let me give you an example of this. So for, uh, I worked for a big company, which I won't name, and I was working with one of the teams, and they had run a contest, this team, this person, you know, project manager had won, and they got money from the company to develop the idea into a new business unit. Well, the first thing I do when I come into this company, I'm working with their team, their internal innovation team, the intrapreneurs, and I'm like, do you, do you, can you show me that this idea actually works in the real world? Is there any evidence you can give me that this works? And they didn't have any. So I said, well, your first job is to go out and get that evidence. You have to engage with your customers and figure out, do your customers really need this? I mean, I know it's a cool idea. It was a smart parking idea. And and I see why you like it. But let's find out if these parking garages are going to adopt this technology. Because if they don't have the budget, if they don't care, you don't have a business. So they literally... Uh, they they were tasked with this. They went out, they talked to all the parking garages everywhere, you know, and they found out that the technology was really cool. The company, they could make this and it would really be great in these garages for guiding people to the parking places and making it more efficient. But none of the people running these garages had any interest in spending money or time on it. They just let people park themselves. We don't care if we know what every, if every space is full. Like we we just don't need this right now. We're not going to do it. So they get this feedback and I go, okay, there's your answer. They don't want it. Like you're not going to sell this to them. They don't really care. And uh, they, they said, yeah, that's true. And I go, okay, we, what we need to do to save money is cancel this right away and go and come up with a new idea. You have a great team. You guys are really motivated. Let's come up with something else. They turned to me and they said, we can't do that. I was, why, (laughs) why can't you do that? Well, my boss likes this idea. Well, you got to tell your boss it's a bad idea. Like you've got to go, I can't do that. My, my boss, you know, their boss <laughs> likes the idea. Everybody likes the idea. They've approved this. They want us to do this. It, and there you go. That's why it's a bad idea to start with the idea. You get locked into these ideas. In corporations, it's even worse than a startup. So in a startup, a lot of times a startup founder will fall in love with their idea. And when you fall in love, I always like to say, love is blind. Like, you know, you can fall in love with somebody and you could think like you're infatuated, they're the best person in the world for you. And all your friends and your family could tell you, this isn't a good match, but you won't listen. Well, the same thing is true when you love your product idea. Like you could just like put on the blinders, you don't want to hear it, you're just going to go and do it because you think it's great. Well, it doesn't matter how much you love your idea, the customer, has to love your idea. That's how you build a business. Not how passionate. I tell entrepreneurs, you can be as passionate as you want about your ideas, but if the customer isn't passionate, you don't have anything. <laughs> yeah. so, so so when I consult for these big companies um, and startup founders alone, I'm always telling them, look, you know, go early. You know, don't love your idea. What I want you to do actually at the beginning is don't pick any idea. Pick an area that you're interested in innovating on. So this area could be, I want to take blockchain and I want to apply it to making the fishing industry more productive and, and, you know, tracking everything. So you could say that's an area, but you don't have to come up with a specific idea. You can say, I'm going to try a lot of different things in the fishing industry with these different technologies, and I'm going to see what really resonates, what really works with them. That is a much better approach because from the outset, whether you're a big corporation, whether you're a startup, you're already uh, open to new ideas. And you understand that every idea doesn't, isn't even worth your love unless it proves itself, like unless the customer falls in love with it. So you're going to go out and what startup founders need to do and what innovators and big corporations need to do is they need to run lots of experiments. So when I work with big corporations, I tell them, Don't run a contest. Don't pick the idea. Don't pick the person with the best idea. Like the people with the best ideas, sometimes it's random that they come up with a great idea. Sometimes the idea that you think is the best isn't the best because your managers are being the judges, your executives are choosing, and they already have their own biases in place. No, what you need to do is forget all about the ideas, pick different areas of your business that you wanna innovate on, different technologies that you wanna experiment with, and then spend all your time selecting the right people. Because at the end of the day, the idea doesn't matter, it's the people. You need these real innovators, these real people who can execute on these ideas, run out, run these experiments, gather data, figure it all out, and then come up with something solid that you can bring to market. And if you do it that way, instead of idea first, people first, you are in a very good position to actually innovate, whether you're a startup whether you're a giant, uh, you know, global, multinational corporation. First of all, when you have an innovation team, innovation teams need to be able to try lots of different things. And you, as their manager, need to understand that they're gonna fail at most of these. That's just the process of innovation. I mean, if you knew the answer in advance, you wouldn't have to have an innovation team. You would just build it and be successful. So by definition, innovating is when you don't know what the answer is and you have to go out there and try to figure it out. Now, how do you motivate uh, teams to really excel at this? Well, the first step is always pick the right people. Pick people who are naturally curious. People who are naturally uh, defying the orthodoxy. People who are always questioning everything, asking questions, wondering why doesn't this work? Why couldn't we do it differently? And very importantly, when it comes to technologists, pick people who love to play with technology. They love it. So they're out there always trying new things, you know they're rewiring their home with the latest networks, they're downloading SDKs from the internet just to try them out you know with open source. They're doing all the stuff that isn't in their job description. You need to get people like this natural innovators and put them together so if you bring these people together magic will happen and the types of teams that i really like are teams where you have one one person one or more people who are technologists like just so enamored with technology that they're always trying new things another person on the team at least one has to be a designer because in today's world, design innovation is huge. You know, The consumer experience, even B2B products, the experience matters. People will always gravitate towards the, the product that gives them the best experience, not necessarily all the features or even the best features. And then thirdly, You need somebody on the team who is a project lead, somebody who can give it a vision, who can sell that vision, who can get other parties on board. If you're a big corporation, you need, you you know, you can never do it in a bubble. There's the marketing people and all these other different groups in the company and a lot of R&D people in the company, and they all have their own fiefdoms. You need somebody who can break down those doors, but who's also tactful enough and uh, strategic enough to make it a win-win for other parties in the company to actually get the resources they need to grow. So you need to bring these people together. Once, once you have that core innovation team, you need to give them permission to try whatever they want. You cannot micromanage them. You cannot, you know, the last thing you want to do is put them in handcuffs, right, where they, can, they, they literally can't do what they want to do. So you need to give them a, a degree of autonomy that you know, when you have a more mature business, you don't want that autonomy. What you want is efficiency. So everybody's like, you're always trying to optimize around efficiency. When you're innovating, efficiency doesn't matter at all. In fact, efficiency is your enemy. <laughs> you do not want them to be efficient. You want them to make mistakes, try different things that don't work, You know, do all these things. And they have to know uh, that when they're trying these things, they can try them without a risk of damaging their reputation or career really important. So like Google does something that's really clever is that when somebody kills a project that they've been working on, that they may have spent millions of dollars on, that, that, you know, that they put a lot of resources into when the project lead says, okay, we've had enough, this isn't working, kill it. They reward that product lead. They reward the person who killed it because, because they, they know that, it's really hard to kill a project, especially in a big company. Like a project that isn't working, nobody wants to take the rap for the failure. So they will keep try to keep it going in hopes, in the small hope that this will somehow yield some fruit or maybe that they've been promoted out of the group by that time or moved out of the group so they don't have to take the fall for it. Um, that's That's how large organizations work. So you have to reverse that and say, look, you tried this totally, totally, didn't work step forward we you know google would even sometimes offer people a free paid vacation and they'd throw a party in celebration of killing off these products and then after that they would have those same people come up and share their learning make them into kind of heroes why did you kill the project how did you know it wasn't working? You know, what would have you done to kill the project even sooner? Like, how could have you known this sooner so that when we do our other projects, we can all learn from what you did and make ourselves, and what did you also, what did you um, as a as a, the project team learn that was actually beneficial that we could take away in the future? Things that we, you know, that may turn into other projects within our company. So those elements are really important when leading and forming innovation teams. When you are innovating, there is a process in place. And this is something I write about in my book, Make Elephants Fly. So there's an innovation loop. And you know, the metrics for uh, for quantifying w- and measuring the success of like a traditional business are not the same for an innovation team. So a traditional business, you're looking at PL, you're looking at you know how much money they can make, how fast they're growing. For an innovation team, what you're measuring actually are how fast they can navigate through the innovation loop. And the innovation loop is pretty simple. The innovation loop starts with, I have an idea. I wanna find out if this idea works. I develop and design an experiment. I put that experiment into the real world as closely as I can with real customers. I gather data, I analyze that data, and then I make a decision. Do I run another experiment? You know, what did I learn from this experiment? Does it kill my idea? Or uh, do I need to shift focus and uh, actually pivot a little to make this work? What do I learn? And then you run the innovation loop again. And then you do that innovation loop over and over and over. So when you're measuring an innovation team. It's all about how fast they can get through this loop and what's the quality of data that they are gathering. How good are the experiments that they design and, and how smart are the decisions, the strategic decisions they are making based on this data. Those are the metrics by which you judge the progress and performance of these innovation teams. It is science. At the end of the day, this is what scientists do. You know, most scientists they have a hypothesis, and their job isn't necessarily to prove that that hypothesis is true. They want to find out what's real, right? Is it true or is it false? They want to learn how the real world works. When you are an innovator, it's the exact same thing. And you know, scientists who are trying to discover DNA or you know. uh, are trying to figure out, you know, nuclear physics or something like that. They are running lots of experiments and the faster and smarter they can run those experiments, the more they learn and the closer they get to the ultimate answer. The most important thing you can do to be more innovative is expose yourself to more ideas, more information, and actually uh, gather as much knowledge of the world as you can, and not just within your discipline because actually much of the innovation that goes on is interdisciplinary. It's the intersection of biology and computer science and sociology and psychology. This intersection is really important. So bringing other people into your organization who are from those backgrounds, learning from them, watching them, and most importantly, asking questions, always asking questions. That is what innovation is. And Einstein said it very succinctly. He, you know, he said all of his uh, experiments that he ran, thought experiments, you know, he said that was combinatorial play. What he meant is taking different ideas from different places, putting them together in different combinations and then seeing what happens, what comes out of this. The best thing I ever did to develop new ideas is to put myself in new situations, often very uncomfortable situations. So a lot of us feel comfortable in what we do every day, our routines, you know, we meet the same people, we do the same work, we, we, have, we read the same type of books, but I, challenge, I actually challenge myself and I still continue to do this constantly. Look, Steve, go out there and, and just put yourself in a position that you've never been in. So for example, you know, I want to innovate about, uh, on startup incubators and I am running a startup incubator, what can I do? Well, at the end of every incubation program we run, every single one we run, you know, first of all, we get feedback from people, from the, from the people in our programs, from the mentors who work with our programs, from advisors that I have. And then, you know, I will go out into the real world and look at how other organizations that want to create ideas work so that I can observe them you know, what are other incubators doing? What are nonprofits doing? What are people doing in universities to actually stimulate this creativity and new ideas? And then I never want any incubator program we want run to be exactly the same. I want every single one to be somewhat different. So we are always tweaking it. We are always changing. We even if we think we've got it down, we are trying new things. And that that commitment trying new things based on us going out into the real world and exposing ourselves to new ideas is really at the heart of how I like to innovate. My favorite resource that I use every single day is audiobooks. So I am a huge audiobook fan because also because I am dyslexic. So reading print for me has always been a challenge and I'm a very slow reader But on audiobooks, literally, I've trained my brain so I can go at double speed. So I can consume a huge amount of content in in a very short amount of time. So I'm always out there uh, going uh, onto Audible, onto the library system, downloading books. And I will um, literally go through at least one, if not more, audiobooks every week. And I don't, uh, I like to challenge myself not to stick with books that i already know i like so i always want to challenge myself to to read those some of those books that are that i would never actually normally read so books about pieces of history that i don't know about books about sociology books about neurology books about um, you name it marketing it doesn't matter uh, poetry books books of you know great literature i'm trying always to mix it up if i get too narrow, then I know I'm really not push expanding myself, really not broadening my horizon. So audiobooks are my number one resource. The best way uh, to keep a project on track is to rely on your team to do it, not to do it yourself. So you need to constantly be going to your team and not telling them, we're behind schedule. What's going to, you know, or are we on track? Are we on track? Or <laughs> What you need to do is ask them, say, how can we keep this project on track? What do we need to do to keep this project on track? So if, if it's your small team, you can do that with your team. If you're relying on third parties, other people outside your core team, which you often are, you know, you're dependent upon them. So you need to go to them not once, not twice, but literally every week and say, and ask some questions. You know, is there, are there any things we can do to speed this up? Are there any roadblocks that you see ahead? You know, of course you can use, you know, the project planning and project management software, great. But there's nothing like meeting people and talking to them face-to-face and actually getting them to their commitment, first of all, and second, their buy-in, And as soon as somebody tells you, you ask them a question, like, how do we make this faster? They have to think about that. Or how can we make sure we hit that deadline? They have to think about that. And then when they answer you and tell you, they are in essence committing to doing that and making it happen. So that it's a big psychological thing. You could have all the software out there in the world, but, you know, that psychology of you going face to face or even on Zoom or a phone call and actually getting that verbal commitment um, on a continual basis and finding out from them what problems there are, what things, you know, if they say, well, actually, we're, you know, we're, we're dependent upon this group and I think they're going to delay it. And then you could say, well, what can we do so that make sure that they don't delay it? How can we, you know, and then you just, you, you learn a lot about the project and um, you're not just telling people what to do, but you're making them proactive and actually taking ownership and actually coming up with the solutions. The number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself is understand what your competitors are doing like if you're competing with somebody else is the reason you have to be different if you're not competing with anybody you don't need to be different you can be whoever you are because you're just the only one people can come to for this but most of us are competing with somebody for for our business and you need to understand what everybody else does what, and not just what they do but how they position themselves to the customer like how, what does the customer think of them what does a customer why is the customer going to them what and most importantly what value is the customer getting of, from from these other parties now if you're going to differentiate yourself it's there's two parts to it one is kind of a branding image part like messaging what the what the customer actually thinks and equally important to that is what you actually deliver are you able to deliver a core value, a value that your customer really, really needs um, that none of, no other party is, is delivering? If you can do that, and you can make that a part of your core messaging, and this is a really valuable piece, then you, you're suddenly differentiated. People know why they're coming to you. They're coming to you because you can give them this and nobody else can, can do it as well as you can. And that is the answer. If anybody wants to reach out to me, I'm pretty easy to find. So all you have to do is go to foundersspace.com. Just go there. There's a contact form. You can actually contact me. If you put my name in the, in, in, in the email that you send to me, I will respond. So that's one way. I'm also on all the social networks. So you can go to uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, you name it. You know, I am there and just search for Founderspace and you will find me my parting advice uh, for everybody out there is that you should try to make your work as exciting as possible. Like if you are bored at work, it's your fault. So I don't think, I don't think anybody's job has to be boring, right? You can always make it exciting. So, you know, if you're trapped in a company and you feel like you you don't have, you you know, you're not being given enough responsibility, well, Just take responsibility. Go to your boss and start coming up with ideas. Could I try this? Can I try that? What if we did this? You know, take initiative. Uh, If you work for yourself, like me, you know, and you're getting bored with what you're doing all the time, well, you work for yourself. You can change it. (laughs) You don't have to do this. You can go try something new. I do it often and it's like a great experience and it keeps my life exciting. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked it, hit the subscribe button, and share it with your friends. You can help us create more great content by subscribing and sharing. Also, if you want to access our online startup program, our investor network, and our entrepreneur resources, just come to founderspace.com.